0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 190, Half a Life.
1: Renew, renew, renew. You're listening to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we do real-life experiments... On
2: you, the unsuspecting audience, seeing what happens when we examine an episode of Star Trek for messages,
1: morals, and meanings, and see whether each stands the test of time. This week, half a life. The one where Frank Burns replacement is rushing to meet his maker. That doesn't ring a bell? Okay, how about this? It is the most enjoyable Loxana Troy episode so far. Still nothing? Well, just listen. In a moment, John's going to do half a life of trivia, but first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and pictures and places to leave comments is missionlogpodcast.com, and please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with half an intro out of the way, it's time for Half a Life of Trivia. (laughs)
2: Right, today's trivia. Today's episode was written by Ted Roberts and Peter Allen Fields with the teleplay by Peter Allen Fields. Now, Ted Roberts... Is actually a very accomplished music editor and supervisor with credits that range from V to Galactica 1980 to The Untouchables, the TV series, and the Perry Mason TV movies from the 90s. This is actually his only script story credit. Hmm. Peter Allen Fields, on the other hand, is a greatly experienced TV writer and producer. He started out writing on The Man From U.N.C.L.E., 11 episodes there, including a couple of my favorites, The Girls of Nazarone Affair and The Ultimate Computer Affair. The Ultimate Computer Affair. I did that for you, Ken. Thank you very much. (laughs) Later on, he wrote for The Six Million Dollar Man, on which he was also a story consultant executive. Story consultant, no less, a role that he will take on later in The Next Generation, and he moved on later to work on Deep Space Nine as well. Now, this show was written partly with the purpose of adding some new dimension to the Lwaxana Troy character. So that that was definitely a guiding principle in the development of the script. But a lot of the story influences for this episode, um, well, there were more than a few, but two of the ones that I really wanted to point out, uh, Pebble in the Sky by Isaac Asimov, same premise of Death at 60, but in his, it was on Earth. And there was an unfilmed episode of The Twilight Zone written by Rod Serling called The Happy Place. That was actually going to be the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone, but CBS nixed it as being too depressing. Gosh, I wonder why. (laughs) And today's episode is directed by Les Landau, who uh, we have seen as a veteran of many next-gen episodes. Now, this is the first episode that Dennis McCarthy was on board as the music supervisor since the ousting of Ron Jones. This episode's only Emmy nomination was for the original score. And uh, just scientifically, a little bit of background here. The sun is a big part of this show. Well, somebody's sun, not ours in particular. But let's put it into a little context. Our sun is about 4.6 billion years old. And uh, at the center, under immense pressure, hydrogen atoms refuse to make helium atoms. And this is happening in temperatures up to about 27, 28 million degrees Fahrenheit or about 15.7 million degrees Kelvin. Then layer by layer, it gets a little cooler. You got 3.5 million degrees, then 10,000 degrees and 7,800 degrees. And then it gets hotter again at the corona, about three and a half million degrees. So I told you all of that because that leads into the research notes that came back on this episode. There were a lot of them. So mostly to do with the plot contrivance of a dying sun. One of the researchers actually suggested that having the sun being unstable rather than a dying star would be a better idea since a dying sun would actually take tens of thousands of years to have a bad effect on nearby planets. They also suggested that the idea of a photon torpedo being used uh, should be changed for something else that Timison, they suggested would bring on some kind of energy converter. And then what Jordy needed to do was to engineer a way to keep the torpedoes cool while delivering the payload. Finally, the researcher said the temperature scale is way off, and they suggested using those numbers, like 219, 220, as percentages rather than measurements of degrees or, or millions of degrees Kelvin. Obviously, in this case, all those notes from research were just ignored <laughs> for the final <laughs> script. <laughs> so you're
1: going to so much. Well, what's funny to me is uh, there was only—so all of that that you just said, mm-hmm. there was only one thing that took me out of it scientifically— What's that? Uh, The fact that we knew inside of 30 seconds whether it was working. Mm, mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's working, it's working, and it's good. Oh, wait, no, it's (laughs) better. It turns out not. Oh, okay, really? And that's like 40 years of work. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I've been working for a long time. I'll continue to work for quite a while, I would imagine. I'm (laughs) I'm really glad that nothing in what I'm doing is going to come down to 30 seconds. Yeah, right. 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 man, that's a gamble, you know? Yeah,
2: it is. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the guest stars on today's show. Of course, we have Majel Barrett Roddenberry back as Loxana. Now, I found Majel's copy of the script. With her notes in it. Nothing too explosive to post here uh, or, or that we would put on our website, but she had some interesting acting notes to herself, like uh, like maybe uh, a, a cue about a line read. You know, here she's bragging, or here she's laying off Picard, like give him a little bit of space. The funniest one was on her beamen at the beginning of the episode, she just wrote, Here's Johnny as sort of her her read for her introductory line. Um, Interestingly, she had a page of notes, uh, shooting dates and scene numbers really, stuck into the back of her script, and that was on letterhead from a show called Spectre. That was the name of a TV pilot from 1977 that she appeared in. It was written by Gene Roddenberry and Sam Peebles. Um, So clearly she just uh, took a piece of old stationery from that show that she appeared in and used that to take notes for the shooting schedule for this episode of next gen and that's still in her script
1: let me let me ask you a question really quickly mm-hmm. uh she didn't transport in she met up with picard in the hallway now i can sort of oh, see oh, that, oh, I can oh, sort of see sure. the yeah, here's yeah, yeah, yeah. johnny thing because she does like the big mm-hmm. arms she has right, really right. big arms on that yes yes was 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 there a beam in originally and they just like yeah why or yeah or? i
2: yeah yeah looking looking at the version that i saw unless i'm conflating two moments uh but looking at the version that i saw there there's actually an entrance with her coming in to greet picard and i believe it says transporter room on well, that
1: they're on their way but, to the transporter. yeah they, they are on their way yes yeah yes. but it'd be uh, weird if she like beamed in and then they went out in the hall and then they came back in <laughs> very true very true i might be conflating
2: that with a different version there are about four versions floating around um but yeah, they, in, in that particular one, she uh, she writes as her line. Read here is Johnny. That's cute. So, yeah, and I can totally see that on the screen too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, we also have Carol Stroykin back as Mr. Hom, of course. And we have some new faces. We have Terrence B. McNally as Batardat. Terrence got his start in some small TV roles in the 70s, including guest starring on The Amazing Spider-Man, The Love Boat, Mork and Mendy. He went on to roles in movies like Nine to Five, the awesome Roger Corman film Battle Beyond the Stars. And then later on, Earth Girls Are Easy. He was married to Julie Brown. And that's comedian Julie Brown, not downtown, in case you're keeping score at home. Did they, did they meet
1: on Earth Girls Are Easy? I would imagine they would, because or, or where Or one get the job because of the other.
2: <laughs> I, I think they met on that step, but I, I, I didn't uh, dig that deeply into their past. But, you know, when we have our Julie Brown podcast, we'll, uh, <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> we'll get all no. the details. I am so. so working on my Michelle Forbes podcast, though.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, Michelle Forbes as Dara. Yeah. Now, Michelle got her start in soap operas. And we also mentioned uh, once a movie that she was in called California and how that creeped you out and Uh you'll never watch it again. Uh (laughs) And um, soon after that, made this appearance on Star Trek. Now, a lot more work followed, including Seinfeld, The Outer Limits, 24, True Blood and a great turn on the new Battlestar Galactica. Now, of course, she will be back in a different role on Star Trek, so we can and will talk more about her then. We also have, of course, David Ogden Stiers as Tennyson. Like last week, here's a guest star whose resume is really hard to overstate. David is from Illinois. He moved to Oregon, then he studied acting in New York at the Juilliard and John Houseman's acting school later on. He racked up a number of theater credits and started in TV with an appearance on Kojak. Now, right before that though, he loaned his voice to a little film called THX 1138 made by a guy fresh out of school, George Lucas. Many more roles followed, but of course it was his portrayal of Major Charles Winchester on MASH for 131 episodes that put him on the map. Since then, he appeared in North and South Murder, She Wrote, and has used his voice talents in a huge number of animated projects, including more than two dozen Disney productions. Interesting to note that Styres typically plays older than he really is on camera. He was just 35 when he started on M.A.S.H., and he was just 48 when this episode of Star Trek was made. And there's a fun tribute in this episode to his character on M.A.S.H. Uh, One of the computer consoles that he uses features the number 4077 very prominently. So if you look for that, you can freeze frame. Well, you don't have to freeze frame. It's on for a good length of time on the screen.
0: This episode starts with a head fake. You think it is going to be a Waxana episode. And it is. At the same time, it is not.
1: Prologue. The show opens with Deanna Troy's personal log. Her mother is on board. The sensible Jean-Luc Picard is trying his best to hide from Waxana Troy, but she's telepathic, so... Yeah... She accompanies the captain to the transporter room, where he is welcoming the leading scientist from Kalon Two, Doctor Timison. You see, Timison's people are sort of reclusive, practically xenophobic. Still, Waxana joins the welcoming committee, then basically becomes the welcoming committee. She'll show Timison everything, and spoiler alert, I do mean everything. Act One: What is a race of xenophobes doing dealing with an outfit as diverse as the Federation? The sun around which Kalon-2 orbits is dying. Timison and his people have been working on a possible solution for years, and the Enterprise will help him test a potentially workable solution on an actual star. He's really grateful for the help. You see, Timison has been working on this problem for 40 years. All he's worked and hoped for has been to find a way to revitalize his planet's sun before he dies. Leaving the conference room, why, it's Loxana! She's been waiting for Timison, waiting to show him everything. She's ushered off the bridge, not before making a slew of passes at the visiting scientist, who seems to be warming to Loxana's advances. He'd have never thought Loxana old enough to be Deanna's mother. She's so... vibrant. She's also in serious pursuit, bringing a picnic to engineering, making small talk, sussing out pertinent information like, is Timison married, and is Timison married? The answer would seem to be yes when he mentions his grown daughter, but you see, Timison's wife died years ago. Well, all that's left now is to show him everything. Loxana invites Timison to her place, and Timison declines. He wishes he could accept, but he must say no. Act 2. As Timison prepares for his star revitalization test, Loxana prepares for Timison, wondering which outfit would most impress him. Deanna is surprised her mother hasn't just beta-zetted his brain to figure that out, but she can't. You see, Timison, and presumably his people, are impervious to her telepathy. In engineering, Timison's test works! Right up until it doesn't. They revitalize the test star, kind of like giving a drowsy person a cup of coffee. Then the heart of the star explodes, followed by the rest of it, kind of like giving a drowsy person three gallons of coffee, five shots of espresso, and lots of cocaine. The Enterprise gets away just as the star explodes, headed back to Kalon 2. A distraught, Timison thanks the Enterprise and its crew for all of their assistance, then does what any sensible person would do, heads to a bar. Loxana finds Timison in Ten Ford. She makes flirtatious small talk with him, then, thinking it's not going well, tries to make a tactful exit. It really is a first time for everything. Amazingly, though, she's read the situation wrong. Timison asks her to stay. He wanted to tell her that he wishes they'd met years ago. She asks what difference a few years make, but it turns out in this case, quite a big difference. You see, Timison is on his way back to Kalon 2 to die. Act 3. Back at Kalon 2, the Enterprise has established contact with Science Minister Batardet. Picard and Riker give him the lowdown on the star test. It worked! Right up until it didn't. But Dr. Timison can probably make a few adjustments, and the Enterprise will be happy to stick around until he's ready to perform another test. But Batardet says that won't be necessary. You see, Timison has obligations at home. Thanks for your help. Please get our scientists back to us as soon as possible. No sooner has the call ended than Loxana comes in to read Picard the Riot Act. She's learned something interesting-slash-infuriating about Kalon too. When people there turn 60, they kill themselves. Friends and family gather, celebrate the soon-to-be departed's life, share a smoke, make a joke. Then the person being fetid completes the resolution, which means they kill themselves. Knowing that Timison is about to complete the resolution himself, Loxana has done the sensible thing. She's come to Picard. He'll obviously do the sensible thing and stop all of this from happening. Except he can't. No matter what his personal feelings are, the Prime Directive forbids him from interfering with the social order of any planet. Loxana storms out of the captain's ready room, saying that that's his prime directive, not hers. Picard calls Counselor Troy, who catches up with her mother in the transporter room, yelling at O'Brien to beam her down to Kalon, too, so that she can give them a piece of her mind. Of course, O'Brien can't. He beats a retreat as Loxana falls apart in her daughter's arms. She can't take what she sees as the senselessness of this situation. There's nothing wrong with Timison. He's just going to die because his society says he's too old. And Diana may not have noticed, but Loxana also kind of likes Timison. She's also afraid on some level that she'll outlive her own usefulness. Though Diana assures her mother that she won't be someone who dies before she dies. Having pulled herself together, Loxana pays Timison a visit. He may well be one of those people who die saying, "I wish I'd spent more time at work." He's poring over the test results, trying to figure out what went wrong. Though his train of thought is derailed when Waksana wraps him in an embrace. He tells her that she's a kind woman. Though she says actually she's hateful. She hates what he's going to do, and she hates him for doing it. He says it's the way of his world. He wishes she could accept that. She says she never will. Never. Then they make out. It's between Act 3 and Act 4 that she shows Timison... Everything. You see, Timison, everything. Act 4. Timison wakes to find Loxana staring at him, not in a creepy way. He explains to her the why of the resolution. Fifteen to twenty centuries ago, there was no resolution. Old people became a drain on their descendants and on society. They were sent to live, or die, in death watch facilities, in loneliness, sometimes for years they'd meant something once. Then they didn't anymore. They lived knowing that they did so at the expense of the younger generations. They're no longer that cruel. Yeah, Luxana's not buying it. While Timson says the resolution is a celebration of life, allowing people to finish their time with dignity, Luxana says they got rid of the problem by getting rid of the people. She says it is the job of the younger generation to take care of the older generation, just as the older generation took care of the younger generation when they were starting out. Timison says parents should not expect to be paid back for the love they showed their kids, though Loxana disagrees. But that argument can be shelved. There are plenty more. Timison still has a ton to offer. It's insane that that's going to be snuffed out. Lots of people can have lots to offer at 70 years old, 80 years old. Others might be spent in their 50s. Timison says having people decide when their family members should die, that would be cruel. And Loxana agrees. Why not just let people die when they die? Timison says this is his people's tradition. Loxana tells a story about an old Beta Zed tradition. Women used to wear caged animals on their heads. Started as a fashion thing, then became a tradition. This went on for years, until one day, one woman said she wasn't going to keep doing that And soon, that tradition was done. Time now to go for the throat. Kalon too has what? 30? 40 years left? What if the scientists who come after Timison can't save their son? What chance does Timison's grandson have of reaching 60 himself? And with that, Timison will hear no more on the subject. It is his time, and that is the way it is. Well, says Loxana, if that's the way it is, why bother trying to save the planet? Maybe its time has come as well. With days, maybe only hours left, Timison can't stop trying to figure out what went wrong with the star test. And then he does it. He thinks he can get it right. He just needs more... time. Only one thing to do. Timison goes to Captain Picard and requests asylum aboard the Enterprise. Act 5. Communicating with Kalon too, Batard It's like, What?! Everybody's getting together for your resolution. There's gonna be cake. Timison says he thinks it's time for Kalon society to re-examine the wisdom of the resolution. Is somebody putting you up to this? Both Timison and Picard say Timison is making the decision on his own. The Batardat's not buying that. No way a guy like Timison would reject his culture. On the off chance he is, though, two Kalon warships are now flanking the Enterprise. Batardit says, if the ship tries to leave with Timison on board, the warships have been given the go-ahead to open fire. Batardet, out. Well, Timison will just keep working for his planet's good, regardless of whether they want it. But they really don't want it. They're refusing to hear his new ideas and have effectively cut him off from his work. "'Alive, I am a greater threat to my world than a dying sun.' Timison starts to hash out a situation with Waxana. She makes him want to live, to keep working. He sees that he has more to offer. But what good will it do if he can't keep working? If he can't go home? This moment interrupted by a call from Commander Riker, Timison has a guest. It's his daughter. She just beamed up to say how ashamed she is of her father. to his face, in front of his new girlfriend. He says he has more work to do, but she says his work is done. He taught her the value of the resolution. It's time for him to rest. Otherwise, where will he go? And where will he die? His daughter leaves, and Timison tells Loxana that he would like to be alone. Loxana spends their time apart talking over her uncertainty with Deanna. She's not sure that the way she counseled Timison was right, that she wasn't just being selfish. Doesn't really matter, though. Timison comes to tell her he's made his decision. While Loxana is almost enough to make him keep going, she's only almost enough. He does love her, but that can't be his only reason for living. He's not the person to lead the revolt. One to beam down, though at the last minute Timison is joined by Loxana. She'll attend the resolution, with his permission, and Picard's. She promises not to make any trouble, and with that, hand in hand, it's two to beam down to the end.
2: Ugh, I can't. I can't. Let's let's just call it a day. You wanna? <laughs> we could. Yeah, we could. It's so. Ah, uh, this is so heartbreaking and and beautifully told. And then it, I'm kind of in the same posi- uh, position that I was last week where. You try to sort of decompress a little during this segment after something really heavy and really thoughtful. This one, totally emotional. Last week's was this intellectual ride. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then this week, it's this totally emotional ride. Well, with with a good like,
1: bit of intellect as well. A wonderful uh, intellect. Yeah. Yeah. So, how yeah, about yeah. I start with something completely stupid? Please. You just get to blow up stars? Really? Oh, rank has its <laughs> privileges. I yes, guess yes. So, it's also, also interesting. It's also interesting that Picard says, "Yeah, so you know the test was mostly good, except for the part where the star blew up. But tell you what we can do, we can just hang around while he makes his adjustments, and it'll go do it again, except that they actually said that it took them three years to find the star in the similar situation because here's mm. the thing you're not just looking for the same class of star, you're also looking for one that's winking out the same way that the one that they're right. orbiting is right now granted, you know the big bang happened for everything all at once i suppose (laughs) so i guess (laughs) maybe you know there could be another star maybe there's a bunch of stars that are like that they got a shelf life of 4.9 billion years (laughs) 8.2 billion maybe who knows maybe there are a bunch that are expiring at the same time it's like when you go to that old market you know that almost nobody stocks and you realize that all of the milk expired on the same day one month ago sure sure maybe it's like that yeah maybe maybe how's how's that for stupid
2: well, that was pretty stupid. Uh, <laughs> Thank but it's an interesting idea. That, so they have to go find a star, and you have to find it where it won't affect anything else. Right. Which I would find pretty hard to believe because stars are so massive and have such gravitational pull. They pretty much affect other bodies in the universe no yep. matter what, you know. So, uh, yeah, good luck finding another quote, star.
1: And I quote Pavel Chekhov. Does it mm-hmm. have to be completely lifeless? <laughs> <laughs> nice, there's nice. so many different things that could like figure into this, not the least of which is, remember that little, uh, well, we haven't seen it yet. I hear mm. tell of a movie where there's this race of people who live at the base of a volcano. Mm. Yeah, mm. so let's say they happen to be looking up at the star at that point, in the yeah. sky rather, and they see a star just wink out of existence. Yeah, and then they're like, huh. Where be your prime directive now? Because you probably yeah. just screwed yeah. something entirely up for some... You know, Mr. Ugg and his crew.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do want to sort of get out of the way pretty early that I, I think any discussion here about the prime directive for this episode is pretty clear cut, at least as far as the the, the A plot goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, Picard lays it out pretty clearly. And, and people sometimes write in and ask us, why didn't you talk about the prime directive here? Well, because it's pretty clear cut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I don't really have any argument with what Picard says. (laughs) So, you know, uh, I'll just I'll leave it at that. By the way, every time I was uh, writing notes for this and I was writing Timison, Mm -hmm. I I kept writing Tim Minchin, who I think I've talked about before. Uh, He's a singer, songwriter. He does really funny stuff. Look him up. But they're very close. And I kept saying that in my head and typing it as I would uh, type out Timison.
1: You know what? I was thinking really quickly about the whole Timison thing. And and you may have picked up on it. Mm-hmm. um there's never going to be a timmy no on no That's the closest we got yeah so i figured you see timison is the yes. closest i'm ever going to have to actually really say that and have it mean anything i'm really glad you did that yeah, there we go yeah
2: i i'm also really glad that you mentioned logan's run at the very top of our show yeah just in case the people who have pop culture references after 1983 unlike on us. <laughs> um, <laughs> the original Logan's run novel written in the 60s by William F. Nolan and then made into a movie in 1976, which was awesome. But in that book or the movie, whichever one you, you want to take a look at first, the future Earth Society uh, that lives in this domed city, they've all agreed that in the book, life ends at 21. In the movie, it's 30. Well, because you have better actors when they're over 21. Um, and that's also sort of run by the computer. So there's some other parallels to to this here. Although I mentioned the stories that I mentioned in trivia because those were more direct influences, a little closer to the idea here. Um, before we get into much else, can we just stop and say that, man, David ogden is, is so good. Yeah, he is. Just so good. I remember seeing this the first time and just thinking, oh, cool, it's the guy from MASH. But his performance is so riveting and understated. Uh, man, that scene... Uh, well, pretty much every scene that he's in, but that that scene after the experiment with the sun fails, fantastic, and and it's everything in that, and the scene right after when he's in ten four, it's all the stuff that he can't say, mm-hmm. which is terrific, and really made it a pleasure to uh, to watch this time after time after time.
1: Well, and as difficult as the scene was as well, I mean when he's sitting there uh, crying. After Michelle Forbes leaves, after mm. Dara, his daughter, leaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's so weird. I was trying to think of something else that I've seen like that on TV lately. And, and I don't watch a lot of TV, I'll grant you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't, I, I just can't think of anything where, I mean, he was just so emotionally out there in that scene. Yeah, it really is. I mean, just just tremendous. I mean, we talk all the time about what a great actor Patrick Stewart is. And Patrick Stewart is a great actor. Mm -hmm. This was great acting in a very different way. I mean, he's he's not crying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's crying. I mean, he's just I mean, it's I I can only think of a couple of TV actors uh, who have done anything that I've seen like like that. It was it was truly amazing.
2: It's a very different thing watching his... He's got a couple of breakdowns in that sense. It's a very different thing watching that versus veloxana's breakdown Yeah, in the transporter room.
1: Or even, I mean, do Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart's mm-hmm. breakdown, I can't remember when we saw it, but I know we've seen Patrick Stewart. Maybe it's coming up. I can't remember. But
2: Well, in Family, you know.
1: Okay, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, his breakdown is a very different thing. And I'm not saying it's any less powerful, mm-hmm. except I think I might actually say it is less powerful, because, I mean... David Ogden steers. I mean, all of a sudden it's just there. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it, there's no lead up to it. Yeah. It's just, he's broken. Like, and you don't even realize it until, until there are pieces laying there.
2: Right. Right. Incredible.
1: I will say one other thing about him though. Uh, He Mm -hmm. spends the rest of the episode trying to figure out what it is that went wrong. Exactly. Mm hmm. Uh, He also says that he's been working on coming up with the right programming for Starfleet's photon torpedoes for 40 years, and and this raised a few questions for me. We're going back to something dumb, by the way. Okay, good. Uh, How did his planet that doesn't talk to anybody get information on Starfleet's photon torpedoes? And then also, has photon torpedo development just stopped over the last 40 years? Mm. Or do they have like an old operating system they run? Like, Is it like keeping a copy of (laughs) Windows 95 or Mac OS 7? Around yeah, in case yeah. somebody has something that they have to run. <laughs> like I actually, I, the place I used to work in San Francisco had this like, beautiful, absolute state-of-the-art facility uh, with a, with a, a Mac Pro G three running OS nine, I think, because oh, yeah. they had spent so much money on plugins for Final Cut. Oh
2: right, right.
0: <laughs> and so yeah. they're like,
1: "Well, we're not going to spend that thousands of dollars again. So we'll bring yeah. people do this thing that looks like." It should be the bridge of the enterprise uh, running Windows XP.
2: I also wonder how that conversation went. You know, Starfleet shows up 40 plus years ago and they have a little <laughs> bit of a chat and they say, well, we, we don't want to share anything with you culturally at all. We're not right. going to tell you about our our life rituals and, and how we live and how we die. And but about those torpedoes. You've <laughs> exactly.
1: Got, can we have those? Can we can have we get some of those? Schematics, yeah. you know, just tell just us how the, those work. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> right. We want to monkey with them a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, well, no, sure. Absolutely no problem, uh, Timison Sr. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be back in like 31, 32 years. I feel certain we'll see you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might meet my kid.
2: Yeah, don't bother looking me up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah. That lunch scene in engineering where mm-hmm. uh, Loxana shows up and, yeah. uh, and just interrupts their meeting. Um, first of all, Data's line about eating, seriously overdone. It was sort of like data written by amateurs. Yeah, you know, like, oh, well, he's the android list has put a lot of words in his mouth. Um, I cringed when I saw Luaxana knock all their work on the floor. Uh, I, I, I thought for sure security would
1: get called. I thought iPads everywhere. Well, thank God it's carpeted. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? And plus, they've got, they've got sort of like, a, what, are those, what are those really ugly cases that are also oh, really uh, good? Otter Otterboxes. boxes. It's like they've yeah, got yeah. otter boxes on every pad. Exactly. Yeah, which, right. is, well, which I guess with her on board is a good thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. When when you can replicate them for free, then why not? That's true. Know? That's true. Um, interesting. I think we're going to hit a lot of the interesting lines in this show, but um, Timison has one. It is our home. If Kalon 2 ceases to exist, and so do we as a people. And I thought, you know, it's a noble thought, but then to what end? And then I guess I thought, well, we know the end. <laughs> we we know that they kind of fetishize death in, in this weird way. So... Um, yeah, I yeah, I, so I, I kind of get it. I mean, I think our reaction would be a little bit different if we knew that our sun was going to burn out, not in 10 billion years, but even in 10,000 years, we might be a little more concerned about that and think, you know what? It's been a good run here. 10,000 years? Seriously?
1: Else. Seriously, you think so? Well, no. Have we right, met humans? Years. We're going to get yeah, down to like yeah. 50 years before. Like, we yeah. should seriously think about moving.
2: Yeah, exactly. Maybe looking around for a place. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Deanna has that uh, line there. They're standing in Loxana's quarters, and she's trying on dresses, and they're talking, uh, not telepathically. And and well, no, I they are talking. Telepathically. They are talking telepathically. And then and then uh, Deanna says, "We're not alone, mother." And I thought that look that Loxana gives Mister Hom, She thinks of him as furniture.
1: Yes. Yeah,
2: it's it's really sad. I feel bad for Mister Um does Luxana expect to be paid back for the love she has shown to Deanna? Because her her dialogue <laughs> let's think about this for just a moment well, here, no, because wait, her, her dialogue with Timison. We're gonna think about it here or
1: we're we gonna think about it next segment.
2: Well, we can think about it next segment. I think we have other things to talk about next segment. But 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 this is
1: this is like a next segment kind of thing, though, isn't it?
2: Well, we can bring it back for next segment. But I I thought, man, that's she. She's inviting just a world of (laughs) hurt by 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 expecting that by even expressing that. Yeah. so uh, there was a, an interesting bit of Diana and Loxana dialogue when uh, when Lwaxana is sort of indicating her feelings for Timison, and she says that he's the right species for everything else, though except for telepathy. Meaning you ought to try that. And Deanna says you're not just incorrigible; you're insatiable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're
1: they're talking about her sex life in case <gasps> you didn't know. Yes. Wait yes. a minute. What?
2: And I know, I know.
1: I, I thought they were talking about food. the fact that she was hungry and also just went wherever she wanted to.
2: Well, that too. Okay, she does that too. But <laughs> it, it, it's and I kept thinking it's not just that Diana and Loaxana in this case talk pretty openly about sex. It made me wonder how anyone keeps a personal life on Beta Z. Mm-hmm. Parents, kids, teachers, students, anyone, really, anyone at any time, really. There are probably some big benefits. To that level of transparency and some huge downsides, um, it- like like a conversation that Deanna might have awkwardly with her mother about her mother's love
1: life. Well, no, they talked about this in Tin Man, actually. What was um, the guy from um, Dear John? I can't remember the character's name. Gamtu was the name of the spacefaring creature that he was going to talk to, but I can't remember his name. Right. He, he was on Dear John? I didn't. Oh, oh right, right. 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 Didn't remember yeah. that. But I can't remember his name anyway that guy I mean the problem with him was his his sort of telepathic ability did not develop gradually the way it does with most kids yeah it was like turned on at birth and so he can't like block all of that out yeah everybody you, else can to spend
2: a lot of time blocking
1: yeah well he's
2: blocking like crazy he
1: apparently just doesn't know how to yeah my point yeah. is uh, Star Trek has actually answered this question for you already John
2: Okay. Well go on, go, it still go back it still sounds awkward. It still sounds terribly awkward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm with um, you. I, I thought that the, the Kalon ceremony mm-hmm. sounds a lot like a living funeral. See also Tuesdays with Maury. Or McMelty send off on the wire. Uh haven't I've never watched The Wire. Really? Yeah.
1: Dude, get Mm -hmm. off the phone right now. Okay. (laughs) Stop doing what you're doing and go watch The Wire. I guess it's a new podcast then we'll have to do it. Wow. There should be like five of
2: those. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last question. What is the medical research industry like on (laughs) Kalon 2?
1: My guess is it stopped at Viagra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there's really not much worry past a certain point, right? No. No.
2: Hey, we could work on cancer, which is sort (laughs) of a naturally occurring part of the aging process as, you know, cells divide. But uh, eh, we'll just
1: we'll stop with Viagra. Right. If you're having this problem, consult your doctor. Unless you're 58. In which case.
0: (laughs) There is no sense in rewriting an episode that is decades old, but I will anyway. It would have been interesting to find out what Worf thought of the resolution. Also, I am fine not knowing what Riker thought about it.
1: I was so good earlier at the uh, stupid stuff. Do you mind if I just continue that role? Because I got, I got one thing that I thought of in this episode. Sure. All yeah. right. Uh, there's a tech point here that I would like to make. Uh, as great as the cloud is... A physical Mm -hmm. backup can be your best friend. Mm -hmm. I I found myself wondering why Timerson wouldn't just, you know, go on living, go on doing what it is he's going to do, because he's got the photon torpedoes. He's on the Enterprise and he's Mm -hmm. got the sun. He's on the Enterprise. Uh, He could go on working for his planet's betterment. He obviously does not need his planet to save his planet, but he does need the work that he saved on the planet to save the Mm -hmm. planet. Mm -hmm. A physical backup can be your best friend. Yeah, that's all I'm saying.
2: That's actually a pretty good idea. You know, <laughs> as you were saying that, I was just thinking another thing that uh, uh, had this episode been made in 1968. Mm-hmm. And if it was Kirk, he would have had McCoy use the same stuff that knocked Kirk out during a mock time. They would have had the ceremony and then they would have beamed him up surreptitiously <laughs> from Kalon, too. That's true. So he would have violated the prime directive, but he would have done it secretly and cleverly.
1: Yes. Yes. I I got to say, uh, forgive me. I don't mean to depending, though, we joked in our Amok Time podcast about, mm -hmm. you know, lucky they don't do anything to the body as soon as you die Mm -hmm. after um, whatever that's called. What is that called? What well, the fight. I can't the, remember. The fight, that. the yeah. ritual. Yeah, right. so I'm not going uh, to hum the music. Yeah, after they, after they have the ritual fight, I mean, my joke was, good thing they didn't, you know, cut off his head and put it on a stick, you know, <laughs> to show everybody how great Stahn is at that point. Right, right. I, I did find myself in a fairly grisly way wondering how it is, because they talk about how beautiful the resolution is. Mm-hmm. How, how does then?
2: Yeah, I I sort of don't want to know. Now, I also thought it might be part of their cultural and technological exchange exchange program with uh, MNAR. And uh, they've got a couple of those disintegration booths. (laughs) Could well be. See you, Timison. Just push the no, 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 the red button. No, not the other button. Push the push the red button. All right. We'll see you.
1: Gallows humor, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Ask ask for more.
2: Yeah, there's uh, there's so much here. And um, uh, there's. There's a little bit of an exploration here about customs and and cultural relativism, mm-hmm. you know, the, the judgment that Loaxana has about uh, the the traditions on Kalon 2, and then the judgment that Timison and Dara have about people who are not part of their culture. I like Loaxana's point about the caged animal wigs, which, by the way, I hope I see on a costume one day, um, which were fashion, and then the fashion became tradition. And then that got stopped just because somebody had to stop it finally. yeah. And you know, there is something about people who just sort of go along with a thing because it's the thing to go along with, not because it's a great idea.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? now, when, um, when, when I had a job that required a necktie, I thought about that every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Seriously. I bet. I bet. It just made yeah. me insane. Yeah.
1: Like an, and all of this is because somebody a long time ago thought, wouldn't it be neat? Mm-hmm. And now i mm-hmm. got to do this. And so now I don't.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, but that changes here, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, everybody had a hat yeah. and then, you know, and then suddenly when you have a president like John Kennedy who didn't wear hats, well, not wearing hats became fashionable, you know, so that it, it changes, but it changes slowly. But, but uh, something like this sounds like it's going to take a lot longer to change. I wonder that for all the people on the enterprise who are proud of the fact that their work is their life, Mm -hmm. I wondered if Timison gave them any pause. You know, he's looking at his work saying it is his life and now his life is over. And, And even in that last remaining days, just a matter of a few days, he's still thinking about, well, well, I can work on this. I can work on that. I can work on this. And people are telling him, no, no, all you need to do is just come back and not do that because your friends and family are coming. And I wondered if for all of these people who just spend their time doing nothing but work, thinking nothing of work, they see a guy like this and they think, wow, I don't want to get down to the last two days of my life and thinking I haven't fulfilled everything that I want to do, you know, personally, uh, as well as professionally. Mm -hmm. You
1: know, I do and I don't. I had somebody ask me recently how I was doing, and I immediately started talking about this new project that I'm working on. Mm hmm. And they said, that's what you're doing. That's not how you're doing. And yeah. as a matter of fact, it was how I was doing at the time. Um, there's you know, stuff, whatever, going on mm-hmm. over the past couple of months as we record this. Mm-hmm. And one of the only things that's really taken my head out of it is this new project that I have. And, mm-hmm. and I guess I'm supposed to say, but I shouldn't be focusing on work. I should be focusing on you know something else. I think there's a difference. People who say glibly, nobody died saying, I wish I had spent more time at the office. Sure. If you're like a cog in that machine, if you're just you know out there working for the man, <laughs> right, Then right. I'm then I'm kind of there. Um, but the thing that I'm working on uh, is is a is a creation of my own devising, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there are other people helping, there are other things going into it, but I, you know, I'm I'm making something. Timison is working to save his planet. I would imagine that there are plenty of artists. I would imagine that there are plenty of scientists. I would imagine that there are plenty of writers. I would imagine there are plenty of people who have sort of, you know, big or small have sort of become captains of their own ships. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're going to want to die at the helm. Yeah. They're going to want to keep doing that. I think, I I think there is a level and, and maybe I'm just justifying my own existence, but I think there is a level where where, we're working until the end. I mean, if, if that's what you've done, I mean, as opposed to trying to figure out, you know, how to save three cents on an inch of pipe, as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to figure out, well, if if we eliminate jobs from those people, then we could actually save more money. Nurse, nurse, get me a phone because I have to call and tell them at work <laughs> that I have figured out how to make them look better. I mean, I think I think there's a I think there's um I think there are degrees of this. I guess is what yeah. I would say.
2: It's interesting that you thought of other episodes. I, I thought of Sarek pretty frequently throughout watching this episode, Mm -hmm. Um, there was that line that Lwaxana had, his society just decided that he's too old. So they just dispose of him. You know, we we had a similar talk about Sarek, about the idea of just being old and then therefore feeling useless or or being useless. Um, And then I like that Deanna comes back with this line, you will never be one of those who dies before they die. Mm -hmm. You know, stops being vital, Who stops being a contributor. But I can imagine and I can certainly understand that that is a very real fear. And that's a really profound fear Mm -hmm. um, to to not be in control enough to be able to keep contributing, maybe not in the same way, but in some way, the way that you have throughout your your younger life. this is the most interesting part of the discussion after Waxana and, and Timson's night together, you know, talking about the history of old people on Kalon to made to live their last years in care facilities.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, he, he says they had meant something and they were forced to live beyond that, um, which I, I do wonder forced, you know, was there some ban on suicide or, or other ways that they might, Not be forced to live that way. That sounds like a a horrific way to live. And he says, we're no longer I'm sorry, she says we're no longer that cruel. He says, he says we're no longer that cruel. Exactly. Um, But but I wonder if that decision to end all lives at 60 years means that they didn't try to do better. You know, what, what was the cutoff other than just deciding, well, 60 years, that's a good long lifespan, you know, pretty much anything over that, the, the rates of disease go up and the rates of dementia and whatever. So 60 years is a good long run. And, um. And she says, well, what about the responsibility of caring for the elderly, mm-hmm. which I thought was a, a great comeback to that? Timerson makes an interesting argument. That the elderly shouldn't force their children into that role. And Loxana argues that they should, or at least why not, that they shouldn't. All of this is, I, I thought, one of the best moments in the whole show because they're, they're laying out really excellent arguments for both sides here. This isn't one of those the original <laughs> series kind of uh, kind of episodes where it's just sort of Kirk, you know, talking the opposition to death. Yeah, I wonder. You know?
1: I wonder though if you were supposed to think that they were laying out um, excellent arguments for both sides. I, I I don't. Well, I
2: don't see how you couldn't see that. I mean, even here's the thing: even if we disagree
1: mm-hmm.
2: with Timison's point of view and and their cultural point of view. Mm-hmm. He's making as strong an argument as he can for why it works for them and and probably more importantly, why it's nobody else's business what what it is that works for them, you know. So while we may reserve the right to be horrified and not think that it's for us, Mm -hmm. it's something that clearly has worked for them,
1: you know. (laughs) Well, there are a couple of things that I wonder about. I mean, you say it's work for them. I mean, what was Loxana's response to that whole thing? You eliminated the problem by eliminating the people. Mm -hmm. Or you got rid of the problem by getting rid of the people. Um, You asked, did they try to do any better? And the answer is no, they didn't try to do any better, but they're also alleviated from having to try to do any better. Now, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. whether that's right or wrong, but there is no better at that point. They've settled on their solution. They're not going to suddenly try to find a way to make it so that somebody can keep their faculties until they're 120. Hey, robot bodies for everybody. What do you say? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. they don't care because once you get to 60, you're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm honestly not arguing here, whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you raised an interesting question earlier. And I said, we should actually do it in this segment. Um, does Loxana expect to be repaid uh, for the love that she has shown Deanna? Yeah. That's a really, I mean, that's, a, that's honestly a really good question. There's, there's, you come across people who say, well, what can you do? They're your dad. Or what can you do? Mm-hmm. They're your mom. And, and I, you know, having been uh, raised by a single mom since I was two, I think there's plenty you can do. I think there's plenty mm-hmm. of questions you can ask yourself. You're going to be repaid for the amount of love that was shown. Well, I, I, I guess I finished you know, forty-five years ago. Then mm-hmm. I, it's—I mean, it, there, there are so many different things that go into this. I mean, it does seem horribly cruel. It seems needlessly cruel. At the same time, you do have to wonder about uh, what was what was sort of uh, what came before with these with these people. Um, that's not to say that I'm done with my dad, by the way. It's just to say yeah. you know there there are questions that uh, there's plenty more than just just being born. I think. Sure. Um, I got to ask a question too about the tenuousness of these societies. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about uh, Sarek. I couldn't help thinking of first contact.
0: Um, mm.
1: We, as a society, have an idea. Uh, say the people of Kalon 2. and then mm-hmm. one of the people of Kalon two says, "Well, I have a different idea." And then the whole planet gathers around them, angrily shouting, "Kalon two! Kalon two! <laughs> Kalon 2, until the voice of dissent is drowned out. Um, How right or righteous can your ideas be if they cannot broach questioning, if you can't even ask about it without people saying, you know what, Timison, I'm thinking what you should do is shut up and to make sure you do uh, worship to the left of you, worship to the right of Mm you. Now, now come on down and have a party.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, They're forcing the cultural norm down his throat. Uh, <laughs> A little bit, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's uh, it, it's really sad, and and you know, in the Star Trek tradition, we we want to see the guy who's the revolutionary. We want to see the guy who can turn the culture around by pulling the plug on the you know evil computer that's running the society. But um, but that's not the case here. It's not going to be the case. And I doubt that uh, Timison's daughter is really going to pick up the mantle after he's gone and think, huh, you know, that last conversation that I had with my father, he might have been on to something. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's him. And, and I, I expect by the way that you're phrasing this, you know, there aren't editorials in the Kalon 2 newspapers that are saying it's been 15 centuries. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> It's time for a change.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, nope. That does not seem to be a, that does not seem to be happening there. Oddly enough, I find myself liking the people on first contact a bit more because at least they let uh, what's her name leave the planet. Because mm-hmm. all Timmonsen wanted to do, he's like, "Fine, you don't want me. Great. Yeah, See you, you later." Nope. And they're nope. like, "No, no, and no. Really, back. come back because yeah. you have to. You have to want to die now."
2: Yeah, it really stifles dissent in a
1: in a creepy authoritarian way. Generally speaking, not an issue though, because you don't talk to anybody off the planet. Yeah. Right. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, because you know,
2: God forbid a dissenting idea comes from the outside and then other people start to talk about that idea and
1: have that idea on their own too. Which reminds me, by the way, I meant to ask this last, uh, last segment, Mm -hmm. uh, how does Loxana get back off the planet?
2: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah! yeah. So she
1: beams down, and Picard's like, "Okay, so we just wait here then?" (laughs) (laughs) Right, Mister Data, fly casual. (laughs) Right, (laughs) nice,
2: nice. There's something oddly. To admire about the people of Kalon too, though. I mean, regardless of the structure that, that maintains this this position that they have, mm-hmm. they're able to face their own mortality with with rationality and resolve. Um, I don't think we would be good at <laughs> Sorry.
1: it. What, what? You don't think so?
2: No, I don't think so. Oh,
1: well, I, 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 I agree. I, I agree with Locks on at this point. I don't think there is an easy solution to any of this stuff. But mm-hmm. how do they face their mortality by by just hastening it? I mean, they don't, they don't really face what happens as you grow old. They make sure that you don't.
2: Well, but it seems, it seems like, cause I started to think about, you know, what is this from, from Timison's point of view? Mm-hmm. You know, he talks to Lwaxana about his resolution with regret. There is regret in his voice after he's met her yes. you know? and, and after he's figured out, oh, there, there's this new thing here. But uh, for a people who don't share anything with outsiders, is it because they know this is a weird thing? Yes. They do. Or, or is it because he individually feels regret and anxiety about it? And, and if him, then what about others? I, I really did wonder that because, um, Um, Obviously, again, this is fiction. This is Star Trek. Everything that we see in an alien race is sort of a a reflection of or a part of us. They're not real. mm -hmm. So we can't judge their culture entirely and say, well, this is how they behave because they're they're a made up thing. You know, but but clearly people are deeply invested in this as their life process. When we meet his daughter, I feel like it would have been a big problem if we hadn't met his daughter. But when we meet her, her position on this, I feel like, is genuine. And sure, we could chalk it up to say, well, she's half his age. She's got a long time before she has to face this herself. But her reaction is genuine. Her feeling about this is genuine. And and she's terrified at the prospect that he wouldn't go through with this process. Yeah. Yeah. If we try to make this from the human perspective, then then, yeah, I mean, I I, I think there's a lot you can say about it. I I think that with us, knowing the details of our own demise is or rather not knowing is what keeps us from acting out in horrible ways or walking around with constant dread. (laughs) You know, I think (laughs) humans are, are very different from the people of Kalon, too, at least in that respect at the same time we see Timson deny himself the pleasures of life very often and i wonder if that's a, sort of something built into the psychology of what it means to be from Kalon too yes he's preoccupied with work but he sadly cuts himself off from a potential romance with Loxana earlier in the show not not later because he knows where he is headed and how she will react. So he's sort of protecting her by also protecting himself from the very idea of falling in love with her.
1: Oh, I don't know. know. I mean, there there are a number of things that I would say. First of all, I think the people of Kalon 2 do understand that this would be seen as reprehensible by people outside. Because when Batardet talks to Picard and Riker, he doesn't say, oh, thank you very much for all your time. What? timison work on it no, 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 no Timison will mm. be dead in four days mm-hmm, i mean he mm-hmm. he says uh he has matters that he needs to attend to here, I mean because he knows how it's going to be perceived or received mm-hmm. um as far as as far as what was the last thing you just said about loxana I'm sorry, I'm trying to keep track of both of them, and I
2: can't. oh sure well, just meaning that he's oh uh, something in his actions is there to protect her
1: i right, yes. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think he's denying himself that pleasure as much as he doesn't want to put her through the pain of losing him or someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he just doesn't want the negative reaction of, oh, man, she's going to think we're a weird death cult, isn't she? Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> right, tell her. Right. I think it also just had to do with, you know, he doesn't want to set her up for potential heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Well, that, is, that is sort of assuming a lot about yourself. Like, oh, no, she would totally be in love with me in four days. I better not... Do anything. I have a question for you. Sure. What do you make of loxana's argument that maybe it's time for Kalon 2 to go? And and mm, I guess and yeah. it sort of goes to what you were talking about with uh, with Dara as well with the Michelle Forbes character. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder whether the resolution is a spiritual thing at all, like at any core, or have people just put a layer of spirituality over something that's really about resources? Um, mm. Otherwise, it seems like they would be like, "Hey, look, it's the big resolution."
0: Right. We always right, knew
1: right. this day would come. It had to come for. It, it comes comes for all of us sometime, and now it's coming for all of us all at once. I mean, right. there, there's no interest in there's no interest in merging with the infinite. There's no interest in going to the great <laughs> beyond. There's no interest in resting, because oh, oh it's going to get everybody. I'm nowhere near sixty. Let's let's stop this right now. Do you know what I, I mean?
2: I, I do, and I, I would think that there would be a, enough. Young parents on the planet, you know, mm-hmm. probably people who are not approaching their 60th birthday and people who probably have, you know, small children who would think, well, uh, this is not a fair part of the bargain. Then for me, you know, the, those younger people would be the ones who would want to, well, leave Kalon too. maybe they're not quite as dug in as Timison to say, well, we, we can't because we can't. This is home.
1: Mm mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, I would think that there would have to be enough of that voice of dissent for that, for that, even if they maintained the tradition that they have of, you know, offing themselves at 60 years old, I, I would think that they would look at this outside threat as being exactly that an outside threat. Um, I think Luksanov is just sort of using that as, you know, taking his argument to a logical extreme and hoping that he would back down, but he didn't. <laughs> so, so, so there's that. Um, Politically, I thought this episode raised some interesting questions about suicide, right to die you know um, the, the, there is something about that that uh, uh, for Klon 2 for people on KLN 2 the the culture says that well you're not you're not dying you're not even ill we just want to prevent the idea that you would suffer, you know, to prevent the idea that you would be ill. I, I listened to a really good interview not that long ago with Sam Harris, who I've mentioned on our show before. He's talking about a similar topic. He he posited that he said, okay, if an alien showed up and, and put everyone on Earth to death silently, compassionately, when people were sleeping, didn't know, then what, how really do we judge the moral harm in how it 's done the the harm the harm the in the thing that that we see that we would find repugnant is that it wipes out potential and I thought I really got that you know it 's not the idea that. That from, say, the aliens point of view, they they look at Earth and they say, well, these people are bound to suffer. They, They get past a certain age and then disease creeps in and dementia creeps in and their bodies fail them. So we're going to do the merciful thing and we're going to put them to death before they have to suffer those indignities. But we look at that from our point of view and say, hey, well, there's actually a world of potential there, because the potential is that people who get older may actually not suffer all of those indignities. They may not see it as suffering at all. They may just see it as a part of their lives. And they may actually be able to accomplish things, different things, but actually accomplish things that they hadn't otherwise thought of.
0: While the citizens of Kalon 2 may not be allowed to do so, it is time now for us to figure out whether this episode, Half-A-Life, stands the test of time.
1: I'd say that's about four-fifths of an episode of Half-A-Life, John. (laughs) <laughs> we, we, we didn't do the whole life No yet. Well, no But I mean just the amount of the show that we've done I'm guessing mm. four-fifths Could be two-thirds Sometimes mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. segment surprises mm-hmm. Let's find out if it does today Time for the part where we discuss the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode And try to figure out whether the whole episode uh, stands the test of time uh, Start with that one. John does this episode hold up
2: Well, I, what I love about this episode Is that all the arguments on all sides are are well thought out And Reasonable, even if it 's an unreasonable argument, <laughs> you know yeah it, this show plays with our emotions in a great way. Um, this is another one of those great stories where I feel like we could just take any single moment, any line, and do a whole show about that we've we 've scratched the surface here, and there will be other people in our audience who take away something different and again, just like last week that 's awesome. You know, if we didn't hit the topic that means something to you, well, it just means there's so much more to mine out of this show. So I think that's one of the reasons this holds up quite well. Um, And you and I have given a lot of crap to the character of Loxana Troy. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this episode excuses those other episodes, but this goes a long way to add dimension to that character. Yes. She's really out of line bringing lunch to engineering. (laughs) This is a workplace. (laughs) The guy's star is dying. He has work to do. Um, For all the good things we say about Loaxana, it seems like she only gains sympathy in this when it's something directly affecting her, not actually that she wraps her mind around what is happening to Timison or his people. But you know what? The fact that she gained that sympathy and gained that empathy, at, at least she got it, and that changed the character, that's great. I think yeah. it's fantastic, and it's a big, big leap for her. Um, you know, and last week, just comparing this to the drumhead again, I, I said that that was one that didn't work for me for immediate rewatch. Um, now, again, not, not to slight that episode at all. It's just that I think my viewing habits with it would be different from my viewing habits with other episodes. This one holds up for immediate rewatch, and that's mostly because of David Ockman's styles. Mm-hmm. The subtleties in his character reveal so much when you know the rest of the story. When you've watched the end and you know where this is headed and then you go back and rewatch it, every single moment, every line that he has is playing the subtext of where that character is headed. And it's great. So this is a pleasure to watch over and over again. Not a pleasure because it was fun and light entertainment. It is nowhere near that. It is heartbreaking to get to the end of this episode. But mm-hmm. they play the emotions right and they play the characters just right. So uh, this one definitely goes way way up there. I think it holds up beautifully. Um, may not be able to watch it again right away, but I definitely will rewatch this episode. What about you?
1: Yeah, everything you just said. I mean seriously, yeah. I don't mean to, I'm not I'm not trying to be, you know, flip about it. Yeah. We we get uh, we get a, a more nuanced Loxana in this, um, Mm -hmm. uh, David Ogden steers, Stiers, whichever, I mean, just, just amazing. It it honestly makes me want to go back and watch mash Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I mean, he was always sort of the straight man to, you know, the wackiness that was Hawkeye and BJ. Right. Yeah. I do remember there were a couple of episodes though, that I do remember that coming through in particular, but it's seriously, I have not watched mash regularly, probably since the early to mid nineties in reruns. So I'd have to Mm -hmm. go back and really, you know, pick some of those out. Um, but, yeah, his acting in this is just is just absolutely amazing uh the fact that it does give you so much stuff to think about, if you're not going to if you're not going to uh be setting your ways on it, I guess would be the best way to put mm-hmm. it if you're not mm-hmm. gonna stand around and shout Kalon too Kalon 2, but actually consider what everybody's saying here. there is a lot to be considered here. Yeah. Um and, and that part is absolutely uh, is absolutely fascinating to me. Um there were no bad effects, there was no bad makeup, although he did look like he was bursting out of his skin, you know. <laughs> right, at right, the, right at the forehead, but otherwise yeah. uh I mean the, the, probably the biggest fault you could have and I didn't even notice it because I'm so taken with everything else that's going on in the episode. You're right. It's the part about data going. Oh yes, the use of sustenance has actually been mm-hmm. found to you know. Okay, yeah, sh- yeah. shut up. Knock it off. Yeah. Yep. Um. But I mean, it, it, seriously, that's probably the one thing that you can mm-hmm. point to as far as production or writing on this that 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 rings false. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it. I think it. It, it waste ends up if for no other reason, he's giving an acting class. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, right, it's amazing right. to see that kind of acting on TV. Um, almost 30 years ago as we record this. Yeah. What about messages? But,
2: yeah, well, I mean, I, I think this is kind of an interesting, tricky thing. It's one of those episodes where maybe we come to the end and we say there's not a, well, there's not a UC Timison moment. <laughs> oh, there's a UC Timison
1: moment. He doesn't <laughs> necessarily
2: follow it. Right, right. Um, but that's okay. It's maybe not Totally necessary. This is a character study. This is a relationship study. There's all this other stuff going on. Um, This episode asks us some good questions about cultural relativism. You know, it's easy to judge other cultures, as Loxana does. Mm -hmm. But it's also easy to make assumptions within your own culture about how others should live, like Dara. Mm. You know, the, this is sort of positing these two opposing ends together and just saying, OK, who, who are we going to respect more out of this? Mm. You know, even if we disagree. Um, so I think that's an interesting kind of exercise to go through with this episode. And there's another thread here that I really like. That Timison has the opportunity to be a revolutionary and he can't fully become that. But maybe he planted a seed
1: that will require others to become revolutionaries. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Um, Okay. No, well, well, I got the same problem. Honestly, I have the same problem with this episode that I had with first contact. I feel like, uh, I feel like the conservative um, mindset, the mindset, I don't mean conservative versus liberal. I mean, the Mm -hmm. one that can't fathom change Mm -hmm. wins. They're, they're willing to go to war with Starfleet and with the Federation to keep this guy from breaking their social norms. Yep. I mean that really is what they're what they're risking at that point. And I honestly I wanted Timison too. And I love the fact that Picard's like, "Hey, you're not just doing this because of us, are you?" because we got shields, we got lasers, we got photon torpedoes. <laughs> we got we can take care of this." And he says, "No, no, it's not that. It's it's a whole lot more than that." I I I I want the revolutionary to be the revolutionary. I mean, yes, I feel for this guy. I feel for this character, and it's a wonderful bit of storytelling. But I go back to, huh, I can't remember. There was an episode where I said, if we can't even in our fiction, you know, fathom the idea, I think maybe when we were talking about money. When I was like, if we can't even fathom in our fiction mm, the idea mm-hmm. of a society without money, then I don't see how we get past all of the stuff that holds us back currently. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of bummed. I mean, this is this is the second time this season that we've had a great episode, but in the end, it's like, ah, nah, progress—that's for other people. We're 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 fine here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe if I even had that moment, like 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 uh, like the alternate universe uh, uh, Spock, the dark mirror Spock or uh, the mirror mirror spock saying i'll think about what you said I mean, maybe mm-hmm. if we just mm-hmm. even had that if we had had dara like like wavering a tiny bit but saying she just couldn't and that that was killing her yeah and then maybe timison goes back for her you know maybe if we had yeah. seen any kind of anything when she sits there in front of him and says i'm ashamed of you you know what i honestly thought of um i thought of the stories that you hear about 60 70 year old men or women or 50 or 60 year old men or women when their kid finally goes off to colleges or goes off to college comes out. Mm. I was this other, I was this thing when I was raising you your whole Mm -hmm. life. And, and somewhere along the way I realized I wasn't really that thing, but I wanted to take care of you. But, but now you're old enough to take care of yourself. So let me tell you what I'm thinking these days. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or let me tell you who I actually am. And for her then say, Oh, I hate you. (laughs) she doesn't say she hates him but she's like I am ashamed of you you have now brought shame on me because look at you with your thinking different or with your acting ways that I don't expect you to act at this point right I mean honestly I mean it and the whole thing is not undone by it and I think the only reason it wasn't undone by it because I think you remember first contact really upset me at the end yeah this upsets me but the power of the performance is actually still what saves it I mean it's it's heartbreaking and it's sad Um, made me cry yeah made me cry doing the recap (laughs) but you know but it's uh that that part of the whole messaging side of it if there is a i I don't think that was a message i'm sort of sad though that the end result is the same as the one that we saw about a month ago where it's just like "Eh, yeah progress yeah maybe well
2: i'll be slightly more
1: optimistic then okay and say
2: that you know he was not able to change Dara's mind with a conversation. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I think Dara is so deeply invested in this that, that at least for a very long time, this is probably not something that she will revisit. But maybe on her you know, 59th and a half year, <laughs> as she's getting closer and closer to his 60th birthday, yeah. she might remember that her father was the one who, for a moment at least, considered doing something else. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, Batarat. He's the guy who launched ships to try to go get this one person back. But if there's somebody else in his administration that says, you know what, maybe that
1: was a waste of resource. That was a tiny bit extreme, but are Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit.
2: You know, I mean, that that's really what it takes. So his he may have chickened out in a way that we wouldn't want to see really we, we would want him to stay and get asylum and we would want him to get away in the enterprise the same way that the woman from first contacted by the way where is she during all of this yeah I know you know yeah um, but there is something there that says that at least he gave it a passing chance and his his loyalties to his culture outweighed his desire to change that and, and that's unfortunate but that's him you know, that, that's his decision. That wasn't our decision to make. But we can look at that and say, you know what? Some values maybe are overrated. The value that like I said earlier, they, this culture fetishizes death. And maybe we can look at that objectively and say, that's a value that's out of whack. And maybe they don't want to have the conversation now. But in another 40 years, when their son is closer and closer and closer to extinguishing itself mm-hmm. maybe we can get that conversation another chance and uh, maybe we can show them hey we've got people living well beyond 60 who can do great things like become uh, admirals and
1: commodores and uh go from ship to ship annoying crews i will give uh Kalon to uh one bit of credit mm-hmm. it's their science minister who uh who commands the warships now, yeah, course, it sure is. Yeah. Absolute power maybe corrupts absolutely. He, <laughs> he was quick <laughs> to yeah, reach right. the warship, so <laughs> right. maybe that's not the best thing. But, yeah, you know, there is something uh, that you can save for them.
2: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. Please check out Roddenberry.com where you can find links to the Roddenberry Foundation. You can find the Roddenberry Shop, and you can find a lot of the other creative endeavors that Roddenberry is behind. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit
1: trekmovie.com. Next week, the showstest with the mostest, the host.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. This show makes me want a full-on crossover episode of M.A.S.H., and next-gen fan filmers. Get to work on that and transmission.